Hey guys, it's Aaron Boverman, host of Speech Bubble. I just wanted to thank everyone who's been listening, who's been checking us out on NeverSeriousNetwork.com, who's been following us on Instagram at Speech Bubble Pod, and liking us on Facebook at Speech Bubble Pod, and following us on Twitter at Speech Bubble Pod. We couldn't do it without you, and we couldn't do it without our sponsors. Harry T, Harry Tarantula, a Toronto comic book store right in your own backyard. So go there and tell them that Aaron sent you. Uh, we just have an update from their owner, Leon Emmett. I don't know if you heard him on our last episode talking about the eventual closure of the downtown location at 354 Young Street. Uh, well, I mean, our building is old, okay. like really old. So we keep finding things wrong. Um, like structurally? Well, right. At this point now, yeah, there's, there's structural work that needs doing. And... I think also, you know, like that building probably should have been demolished ages ago and and something else put up. For different reasons, it hasn't happened yet. But I think the landlord is feeling a certain amount of pressure just to pay the taxes on the building. It's not You can own a building downtown worth millions of dollars, but don't think you're rich. You're paying thousands every month in property taxes just to own it, you know? Right. Um, and you've got to recover that somehow uh, from renting it to tenants or doing business out of it or something. Uh, and he can't recover it from you in the way that he used to? Well, I mean, we're on the second and third floors, right? right? Um, you know, the ground floor tenants typically pay the most. But, right. you know, it, all of us have seen just how insane real estate has become mm -hmm. in, in the last little while. You know, that's where money is fleeing to, has been fleeing to for some time to, to retain value in, in I mean, I get too far off topic, but we're living in some interesting economic times here. You know, the big overriding theme that I can see is is malinvestment. You know, there's lots of money coming out of magical spigots at central banks, and and then weird things happen with property value. The first people to get it throw it into something, and and you know the the price goes up, and then it trickles down to the rest of us. But we're it's too late now. Right. You know, the spending power of that money is gone. Right. When I when I got the news at first of what was happening, I was like, oh well, you know, we knew that was coming, but yeah, what a so giant pain. Is he just Decided that he needs to kick you out or sell it. Well, they need to Get put work in. Like they, they need to do work on the building regardless. Okay. Um, but I know they also are looking to, while they're at the work that they must do, doing other work that they probably should do if they're at it, so that they can recover some kind of better rent. Like you know, I know what we're paying now in rent is a really good deal per square foot in the area we're in. Mm -hmm. But again, the building is. You know, it's old. It's it's a it's a fixer upper. Let's put the polite phrase on it. Right. Um, and you know, the landlord wasn't interested in fixing it up, and, and neither was I for the longest time. I mean, it's good enough. You know, we put bookshelves over the walls. Who cares if there's a hole in the plaster, right? Right. <laughs> We're not looking. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't need to be all all that. Um, but you know, some of it, like uh, the carpet that we that we have, is the same carpet that was in there twenty years ago. Right. But replacing that is just too onerous. We never bothered. Like, it's just not worth the, the effort and the expense. But at some point, things get so kind of run down and... and That you have to. You know, when you when you drive your car until the wheels fall off, it probably would have been a good idea to tighten a few nuts and maybe get some new tires. But don't worry. That location is still around. It's shrinking. And it will be online at harryt.com. And you'll still be able to get your comic fix at 6979 
Yonge Street, where they'll still be having their games nights, and you'll still be able to get all your magic cards and everything that you would normally expect from Harry Tarantula. So thank you to Harry T for keeping uh, shows like this going, and thank you to our listeners for uh, all the support. You're listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. Here's your host, Aaron Broverman. Godspeed, old chum. Hello, fanboys and fangirls. Welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble. It is your host, Aaron Broverman. And with me today, we have the artist from a Black Hole Hunters Club. Uh, that's written by past Speech Bubble guest uh, Ricky Lima. But today we have his better half. Uh, his work has also appeared in the Monstrosity Monster Comics Anthology from Alterna. Uh, please welcome Shane Huron. <laughs> Thank you. Hello. Hey, so I'm introing you as Shane Heron, but there's a little bit of confusion as to what your last name actually is because your Facebook says Shane Amato. And I always used to think that you were just messing with people because you like to do that and and you're and you were just a fan of amato's pizza so you just put that on your on your facebook to fuck with people but then we went out drinking last week and you told me this amazing story it's not really amazing it's kind of amazing because because it puts this one legend from toronto comics community lore of like what is your actual last name <laughs> to rest think, right? i don't think that many people do <laughs> because you you sign your work let me ex- just explain it to the people you sign your work shane heron right yeah but your facebook page is shane amato so there's a lot of people like aisha han a lot of the like independent people that we've had on this podcast who are like aaron what's the deal What's what's Shane's last <laughs> name? People coming to like, you. Like, they're, like, they're you're asking, the journalist. You got to find out. Exactly. Because of the circumstances of the story, I kind of want to start with it. Okay. Okay. So let's let's get into this and let's let's put this to rest. Okay. I don't think your parents will ever hear this. Okay. So my legal name is Shane Heron. Okay. Which is my mom's last name. Okay. My dad's name is John Amato. Right. So I'm, my name is supposed to be uh, Shane Amato or John Amato. So I have an older brother by two years. I'm the middle of the first three kids. And so my older brother, James, when he was born, both of my parents are very stubborn people. Okay. And when he was born, my dad wanted his son to be named after him, John Amato. And okay. my mom would not allow Good it. Good Italian. They, yeah. They got a big fight in the hospital and my dad stormed in up. In the hospital? Yeah, like, I believe, as far as I know, yeah, this is what And my dad left, and my mom, being spiteful, wrote his name. She wanted to name him James. She wrote James Heron, her last name, instead of my dad. And my dad wasn't there to deal with this. So then his name was James Heron. And then two years later, I was born, and my dad was like, well, my son, second son, is going to be named John Amato. And she wanted to name me Shane. They got in a big fight again. My dad stormed out, and my mom wrote Shane Heron. Two years later, my younger brother, Brandon, exact same thing happened. So all three of us had the Heron name. Okay. I planned on eventually changing my name back to Amato, which is my dad's last name, which is a name I'm very proud of, but I, I just never got around to doing it. But when I was teaching a comics course for Centennial College, my Facebook name was Shane Heron, but I didn't want my students, I didn't want them looking at my Facebook and stuff, my personal like Facebook. So I made a Shane Heron art page and then I just changed my personal one to Shane Amato 
which I still plan to change my name legally to Amato. I just never get around. I'm like, I don't know. How do you change your name? It seems like a, a lot of paperwork. It is a lot of paperwork. Yeah, right? And, <laughs> and, and no connection to Amato's Pizza, right? Uh, maybe. I mean, I don't get free pizza when I go there. That's for sure. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so it's Shane Heron's my legal name, but eventually will be my pen name because I'm just going to stick with that as my art name because I have a bit of a following as Shane Heron. Right. But right now, my name is Shane Heron. Yeah, yeah. And, like, none of that work's going to be valuable if it's all signed Shane Heron and now you're now you're Shane Amato, right? <laughs> is it going to be, I don't think be valuable like, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? that's, see, it's not a, that good of a story. I don't think so. I mean, it is kind I of... I think it's better when you got a few beers in you. The thing that I wondered about it, too, is, like, so after the names got changed and your dad comes back, he, like, cools off. Yeah. Is he just, like whatever like, i guess I she wrote care. it i guess it was written on a like birth certificate right so then like i guess I, I don't know the details of how that works i just knew that i will and i as a kid too always wondered why i have my mom's last name and apparently that's the story uh, i see I yeah see. Cool. so that's and now facebook won't let i don't teach that course anymore and facebook won't let me change it back i've tried many times and it, like i'm just my name is now shane amato on facebook so i guess i just have to legally change it now. all right so it's okay. accurate yeah you should you should, man. Because then maybe you'll get free pizza. You can like show your business card and be like, yo, yeah. Shinamato, I'm your long lost cousin <laughs> yeah. from way back in yeah, the Yeah, I'll go country. with my dad. My dad, he could just show his ID and be like, come on, hook <laughs> it up. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So where was this hospital that you were born in? I don't know where my other, my brothers were born, but I was born in Mount Sinai, just like oh, okay, not that far cool. from here. Oh, cool. So you're yeah. like Toronto boy through and Toronto through. boy. I grew up in Scarborough, but I was born like proper Toronto, yeah. So what was your, what was your life like? Like, like, what did your parents do for a living? <laughs> my dad's my dad's a mechanic. Okay. Uh, he just fixed his cars. And uh, my mom was like a stay-at-home mom. And they separated when I was very young. So we went back and forth from like, well, I especially went back and forth from like my dad and my mom. Not that's that. cool. So like, so you're <laughs> hanging out. interesting. Here. No, like you're hanging out and, <laughs> and you're like, you're going back and forth between the two people. Yeah. What kind of stuff were you into as a kid? Like G.I. Joe, because I love. How old are you? I'm uh, 34 now. 34. So I'm born in 82. Okay. Uh, I loved like G.I. Joe, but mainly because of the toys. Like they were the best little action figures. They had those like elastic waists and they were so multi-joint. Right. And then uh, there was Transformers, but I think I just kind of pretended I like Transformers because everyone else was really into them. But I didn't really care for Transformers that much. And then it was like Ninja Turtles, big Ninja Turtles when uh, I discovered I was huge them. In Ninja Turtles, like too. grade two. That's all I drew was Ninja Turtles. Like, I don't even remember doing anything else in school, but just drawing Ninja Turtles. You know what I do to freak people out? Yeah. So, this my, my Ninja Turtles story is the first episode of Oprah I ever saw. Oprah? <laughs> yeah, Oprah. You yeah. Know, you know no, I know Oprah. Yeah, everyone knows Oprah. Was, was, like, was like Ninja Turtles and... MC Hammer on the same show. What Ninja Turtles, like, no, the cartoon? All, they showed a cartoon or the no, guys no, in the because, suits? No, because the movie was coming out, so it was yeah, the yeah, guys yeah. in the okay, suit, yeah, yeah. right? And they showed up in the van, in the battle van or whatever, and they, like, <laughs> you know, they, like, filmed them showing up in the van and, like, walking through the studio and, like, coming in and, like, like they were busting into Oprah, basically. What did MC Hammer have to do with Ninja Turtles? I don't know. I don't know. Vanilla Ice was in the second one. They sort of divided, like, they sort of divided the show up where it was, like, the first oh. part was MC Hammer. Yeah. And then it was Ninja Turtles. But then you had this awkward moment where MC Hammer is sitting on the couch with the parachute pants with a bunch of Ninja Turtles. That sounds That's lovely. what I remember. It was, it was weird. 
Yeah, I remember uh, Ultimate Warrior was on Regis and, and Kathy Lee, and he, and he destroyed the set. There was like a thing, and Regis was like, oh, watch out. Yeah. And I was like, what? And then, like, it's so weird now you look back. Like, he was like in full Ultimate Warrior gear. Yeah, on the yeah. Thing. totally. The TV used to be way better. I know, I know. Because <laughs> back then, people didn't really know that wrestling was a work, right? It was like everything was like taken you, as. Everyone knew, right? Right. Like, uh, we knew. Even as a kid, I knew. I just didn't care. <laughs> right. Like it's so obvious it's not you know, real. eventually, but like in the eighties you didn't really you didn't no, really know. I knew. I remember yeah. watching like yeah, and we watched the first Royal Rumble okay. and we were like but we knew like right. it's yeah. <laughs> it's like Santa Claus. Like didn't you always know it was fake? Like right. like kids are not that dumb. Right, right, right. But the media would always play it up like, oh, it's real. Yeah, I guess so. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I always knew it was fake. Okay. I would, like I just liked it. I still like it still. I guess I don't watch it now, but I love the novelty of wrestling. Right, so do I. Yeah, I, I was also a big wrestling, wrestling fan, by the yeah. way. Yeah. I, I hate the like lack of the Attitude Era. Like I hate that now they're out of the Attitude Era. It's like PG now. Oh, I don't, know. I don't watch it anymore. Yeah, I don't, wa- I don't All watch my friends do. Either. I don't watch but, uh, it anymore either, but I know that they sort of went G, like they went more oh, okay. G-rated. After. No DX, no, no uh, DX. Suck it. They can't do suck. It. No, no Stone Cold, like none of that. It's all because that's all the adult like Attitude Era. And stuff, yeah, I guess. Right? I so, know. so you're into like GI Joe and Ninja Nin- Turtles, big Ninja Turtles, Mad Ninja Turtles. Did you ever have that? Remember that like fruit snack thing that they used to have? Fruit it was, roll like, ups? It, it was like a no, it wasn't like fruit roll ups. It was like this green toffee thing that used to turn your tongue green and it was called like ooze oh yeah and it was like this weird like toffee stick thing yeah, yeah, yeah. like sort of like a tootsie roll but it was like green and like fruit flavored yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, i was actually talking to somebody there you know what and there was great about in the late 80s and 90s there was a lot of slime stuff slime products yeah, like yeah, yeah. you could just buy gack. those little like yeah gack, yeah, 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 or, yeah like you go to those machines where you put in like a, a loony or whatever and you get like a big thing of just slime right and like i don't know what the fuck you do with it but like it was there was so much cool slime i remember uh that show uh you can't do that on television yeah, yeah i remember and that they would sure. just pour a bucket of slime on you yeah yeah there's not enough slime these days no not enough slime and it used to be all slime. over ytv yeah, yeah i used to watch ytv a lot there used to be slime all over the place nickelodeon was huge with the slime yeah yeah that's what i'm saying you know what what bring I mean? back the slime exactly bring back the slime <laughs> yeah i'm starting slime. a campaign anyone <laughs> listening Write in, say you want the slime too. I mean, you could reach me at aaron.broberman at gmail.com. What are they going to do? Send me slime? Tell me why you want the slime and we'll we'll get you on the I'm show. I'm just going to hit you with a bucket of slime one day when you're not paying attention. Yeah, it'd be awesome. <laughs> Please try. Yeah, because uh, you can't do that on television. It would have like a keyword or something that you said and then they dumped slime on you. Right, right. Yeah, I remember. All right, enough about slime. Anyway. Let's talk about shame. So what else? So like you're into all this stuff from the 80s. So what got you into comics initially? Comics? Okay. Because G.I. Joe was a comic first, right? Like yeah. Like Johanna I, and stuff. Although I do love that like Silent Snake Eyes issue, the Larry Hammer one. Yeah, but Larry Hammer. I didn't read the, the G.I. Joe. Um, I don't read the G.I. Joe comic books. But I read, uh, I remember my first comic books were, one of my uncles gave me a bunch of, there was like old Flash books, like really just like old Barry Allen stuff. Like and, Silver Age? Yeah. Okay. Like not, wow. I don't think anything worth much money or Jeez. anything, and not in great shape. But okay. I remember looking through them and being like, "Oh, this is really cool." And I, I always just had an affinity like for drawing. I just love drawing. I love drawing dinosaurs and animals and stuff. And then I got it. I saw the Flash, and I was like, "That's really cool." And then as I got, I think I got a bit older, like around grade four. I remember I bought, there's three comic books I remember buying that are like really like 
made it because it's the first time I went to the store and bought comic books myself. And I just at the corner Ingrid store. Four. I didn't know it at the time, but because I didn't really follow, I didn't know artists at the time. I just knew characters. But Conan the Barbarian, and it had a Mignola cover. And I remember, I remember reading the interior, and being like, "It's good, but it's not as good as the cover." And I didn't realize it was like two different artists, but it's this Mignola cover, and it's so great. Right. And then there was a, a Ron Lim Captain America where he fights. Uh, what's that guy's name? Crossbones. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy with the big skull mask. From he's in the movie. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, cro- yeah, yeah. Cro- is his I name Crossbones or something? Something like that. Like that. He Crossbones. has a big skull mask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember it was a simultaneous issue, and it had. Um, it, it was so weird because it had uh, the red skull and the kingpin. They stripped down to their underwear, and then they have this like fight, like a one-on-one fight. And it's <laughs> and I was like, I didn't really understand. And then like while Captain America's fighting like Crossbones. <laughs> you gotta look it up it's, I think it's issue 375 of Cat America or okay. something like that and it's like it has yeah Red Skull and Kingpin in their underwear like fighting each other and I think ultimately Kingpin wins oh and then there was um, a Green Lantern the first time I remember my older cousin you know he's like did you have older cousins that, that whatever they were into was like you wanted to be into it. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. like they That's were That's how I got into New Kids on the Block. Yeah, because, yeah. Because my one of my daycare, my I don't know, the person who ran the daycare when yeah. I was going to daycare, her daughter was in a New Kids on the Block. Yeah, yeah, And that was, like, the only reason that I was ever in a New Kids on the Block. Yeah. And I eventually got, like, a whole bunch of, like, New Kids on the Block bedspread and... Yeah, and, you went all out. And, <laughs> like, and, like, duffel bag and whatever. <laughs> I didn't really care, you know, but... Yeah. You're yeah. the coolest. So, anyway, <laughs> I, know, I know, I know. I had two older cousins, one on my dad's side, one on my mom's side, and whatever they were into. So, when they got into hockey cards, I was honored to be into hockey cards and... Uh, then eventually they got both got into comic books. And I were remember, they teenagers or just like... No, they were like, they're like literally a year older than me. Uh, just like, just old enough that they were like the cool, cool you know what yeah. I mean? I remember my cousin being like, you like comic books? And I was like, yeah, I have this Cat in America and I have this Flash and I have this uh, uh, Conan. And then I remember being like, I got to impress them. So I like ran to the store to like buy more. And I bought a, a Green Lantern. And I didn't even know who, I was just like, this is cool. And I was like, Green Lantern's my guy. And then I was like, became such a Green Lantern fan just because I wanted to have my own like comics to impress my cousin. You know what's cool about Green Lantern? And I think they've never really taken it as far as they can go. But because he can think of like literally anything. Yeah. And like his power is like based on his like creativity and yeah. stuff. Like, that's the coolest thing about Green Lantern, that he can, like, use anything to defeat his enemy, as long as it's not yellow or whatever. Yeah. Well, I don't know how that works now. I don't really follow, but they have the, like, now, all the different Now it's rings. sort of gone, right? Like, yeah, now yeah, yeah. they got rid of, like, the yellow thing, but it used to be the yellow thing. But I always thought they never took it far enough in terms of, like, your imagination. Like, if they ever did, like, an adult-themed... Green Lantern comic. What are they gonna do? They could do like a ton of crazy stuff. He makes like giant dildos and stuff. No, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was thinking like more like like they could go like Doctor Strange psychedelic with it. They could do like huge like crazy stuff. Maybe you got to write that, Aaron. Maybe 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 you're the next guy, the next Green Lantern guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I thought they always did cool stuff because they. 
they had um was it John Stewart was like an architect <laughs> John Stewart was like an architect so then they all of his stuff he made was always like um he would like build things that right. were kind of like uh, like how an architect would see right right but then Kyle would... Rayner had the like drawing thing, yeah exactly right? he was my favorite and my mine was my guy was Guy Gardner and he would just draw like big fist punching people <laughs> and then I got well I got it so then I went like deep into comic books and that became like my thing this, right. and this is right around it's like grade five. Like, you know how, like, in school, people are like, oh, the nerds are, like, read comic books and stuff? Right. Our whole school was into comic books. Like, we made comic books cool. And everyone was drawing because of, there was this other kid. He was another, Dwayne Anderson. He's, like, he was the other really good artist. And he and him would, like, just constantly draw all day and just, like, compete with each other, draw the best drawings and buy, like, and then, like, the X-Men cartoon came out. And we were just like so heavy into comic books. And I got into, do you remember, um, there was a guy Gardner. He got Sinestro's ring, the yellow ring. Right. I loved it so much, but it was so bad. He had like a ginger mushroom cut, like a leather, like Fonzie jacket. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was like this <laughs> yeah. green jacket. And then he, but he had, it was like, it was like shaved on the sides. Yeah. yeah. No, no, this is like, okay. This is, so he was originally a green lantern, right? but then he got Sinestro's ring and he like fought green lantern yeah, yeah. and he did like, <laughs> he, he had like, like a black leather Fonzie jacket okay. with a big gar- G on it. I forget. Gonna, orange mushroom haircut tight tight blue jeans and then cowboy boots uh, and it was like the worst costume ever <laughs> and i loved it so much like i i ate it up That's i think a... i'm trying to think of an artist's name i can't remember joe staten and he was okay. like, i love that stuff so much but yeah i went like heavy into it and then the uh death of superman came out when i was, I remember when I was in grade five that's huge oh my god it was the biggest thing ever and then the whole like batman like the night falling got his back broken right. And then the whole return of Superman, it was crazy. It was so good. And you were like, oh, my God, is he coming back? Yeah. And then they had the four Superman that came back. I was, like, so into it with Steel and Superboy. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was so great. Did you ever see the movie Steel with no. Shaq? No. No. It was bad. It was a bad movie. But Yeah, any movie with Shaq's not going to be good, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> because for a while, he was doing, like, Kazam. Yeah, Kazam. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he did he he did some movie with Nick Nolte, Blue Chips or something like that. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. that that looked like a good movie. Yeah, it was a sports movie. Yeah, sports, probably, sports would have been good. Shaq should play a basketball player. That's about it. Right? Yeah, like, like in Space Jam or whatever. Was he? He was in Space Jam. He was in Space Jam. No, it was uh, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, and Bill Murray. No, I know. It was, <laughs> I know it was Michael Jordan, but I thought he was one of the people, like people no. who got taken over by the aliens. No, it was. <laughs> it was. Michael Jordan, the Looney Tunes, and Bill Murray versus the Monstars. Right, the Monstars. But then the Monstars steal the powers of a bunch of the Oh, do they? Oh, so maybe Shaq so is like, in it. So maybe, I, I don't know. I think it was like. I haven't seen it since I, I, I think it was kid. like Patrick Ewing and Barkley, Charles Barkley. Barkley's in it, yeah. For sure. And like Steve Kerr, I want to say. Uh, Muggsy Bogues and like Sean Bradley. Oh, that sounds all right. Yeah, right, I don't right. remember Shaq being. I don't in remember it. Shaq. Yeah, 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 but whatever. Maybe he was <laughs> making too much with the solo movies. Anyway, yeah, they're making a new uh, Space Jam with LeBron. With LeBron, exactly. I don't care. They did a reading at at the TIFF Bell Lightbox, <laughs> oh, the Toronto, the was Toronto LeBron International there? Film Festival stuff. No, 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 no. They had a bunch of like actors doing oh. doing the voices and being Michael Jordan and stuff. So you're you're into you're into all this stuff so were you like bagging and boarding the comics yeah were you like big like yeah collector? we my dad was like everyone else's dad and they all had they all say they had like the first issue of spider-man and the first issue of the hulk and like their parents threw it away right and that's when they're always like 
they're worth money now, so you got to, like, hang on to them. That's, like, the speculator era, right? Yeah, Where, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, okay. And, and people don't realize that those were worth money because they're rare now, not because, like, because if everyone kept them, they're not rare and there's no demand for it. Yeah, 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 totally. So, like, yeah, like, so Death of Superman we thought would be worth so much, but it sold, like, six million copies. Everyone had one. I had multiple copies. Yeah. So it's not going to be worth anything. Now it's in, like, quarter bins, right? right. Or the X-Men number one with the Jim Lee cover. Yeah, like which all... sold, like, a million copies. Yeah. Well, everything was selling, yeah. like, crazy back then. Yeah, all the yeah, yeah. yeah, and then I got heavy into Image, and I was, like, uh, Max. Oh, yeah, oh, Max. I never seen, like, again, as a kid, I didn't really follow, like, artists. I didn't know artists' names. I just liked characters so i was like i like green lantern i would buy green lantern regardless of the artist or writer was i just liked green lantern right and it wasn't until i was older and i like got back into comics that's when i started being like oh i'm following good writers and artists i don't really care about who's like the which character so when you were reading comics did you care more about the character than like the interior of the comic like what did you was no, there I anything just, specific like, about comics that you liked or was it just the character Oh, just the characters. Yeah. No, 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 I love comic books. Like, I, that was my, like, that's the funny thing when I was in grade five. I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to draw comic yeah, books. Yeah, totally. And we actually, we were so into it. Our grade five class, like, I guess she, our teacher just couldn't ignore the fact that we were just all, we go, me and this guy, Dwayne Anderson, got everyone just obsessed with comic books and Death of Superman. And we just were drawing comics all the time. So she made one of our projects and we made a comic book because she was just like, this is like uh, we gotta like do like incorporate this because everyone's just obsessed with it. About what? Was well, everyone got to make their own comic book. Oh, cool! Mine was the worst. I, I had a foil cover. I got like a, <laughs> a sheet of foil, and I just literally like, I, foil. Yeah, not no, not foil. Like um, like a shiny. I remember going to like a like an art store and I had to. I got like a. Like a shiny, like, Bristol board, but it was, like, silver. Okay. And I just took a pencil, and I just, like, your pencil couldn't draw on it, but it could, like, indent it. So I just kind of, like, carved out the cover. So it was, like, a foil cover. That's awesome. And my guys are, what was my book called? I don't know. It was really bad. It was, like, a ripoff. Of, I remember I read, uh, like, an Aquaman that I was super into. So it was just a ripoff of Aquaman, but it was the superhero that he wore, like, a Batman suit, but underwater. like, And he had this whole, like big kingdom like aquaman oh crazy yeah it was t and he, i think he had mutant powers and he had to like go, like it was I, I still have it somewhere i should pull it out and it's literally like the pacing is so bad it'll be like man this is too much like i he'll literally this will be his like thought bubble and he'll be like oh my god this, i'm so stressed i need a break and then it'll just be like two the next panel will be two weeks later and be like oh that was a great vacation <laughs> I was like, oh man i don't know i know how to write a comic yeah. book it was grade five so whatever right yeah yeah totally. I got, like i think a hundred percent i don't know they rated it like a hundred out of a hundred that's awesome i kicked ass wow yeah <laughs> whatever. i mean i mean they like made the project for you so. yeah basically what was the first comic shop that you went to like when do you remember going to actual comic shops it was around that time, too. My cousin turned... I didn't even know comic shops were a thing. And then my cousin was like... I don't know if it's still there now in Scarborough by Scarborough General Hospital. Now it's called the Comics, Comic Room. Okay. But I think back then it was owned by this guy named Ron. It was called like Ron's Comic Room or Ron's Comic Shop. Yeah. And it was just it was this old guy, Ron. It was like in a basement and it was like the one little room and it was just heaven like when i discovered it because i'd just been going to like corner stores right and getting like random issues yeah, random whatever i yeah. would just be like, i would look and pick up whatever 
and I didn't know, like that Green Lantern issue I got, it was like part three of four, but I loved it. I had no idea what was going on, but I was like, whatever, it doesn't matter. I yeah. just, but that's how you bought comics back then, right? Yeah, yeah. I guess that's what you thought they did. And then you could, I realized like, oh, I could buy all of the issues. I could buy back, like I would just go through back issue bins and try to get like all of the issues of everything. That's awesome. Yeah. And then I stopped reading comics in grade six. Why? Because I discovered girls. <laughs> in grade six? The girls were well, always Italian, there. Right? Girls, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> girls were always there, but I guess like I had this new friend that he was like a you know a new kid from some other school, and he was like we started hanging out, and he was just like, hey, like girls, and I was like, oh yeah, girls, like they're they've been here this whole time, and then I guess you just go through puberty, and you're just like, who cares about comic books? Girls, like some of them are growing breasts, and you're in grade six, and you're like, this is the greatest thing ever, <laughs> and then yeah, we were just like liked girls all of a sudden i didn't care about comic books and it wasn't until grade 11 i was walking by the comic shop my old comic shop because i live yeah and then uh i just was like i'm gonna go in just for old time's sake and i went in and i saw there was two comics i saw that like blew my mind so this was like 98 i think it was uh, an issue of Pit. Remember Dale Keown's oh, Pit? Oh, yeah, yeah. Dale Keown's Pit was like kind of a ripoff of the Hulk. Yeah, it was the Sort Hulk. of like it the Max a... kind of too. Yeah. And I remember when I was a kid when I was super into the Max and my cousin was into Pit. And I was like, Pit? It's all about the Max. Like, that was my guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I, I saw this issue of Pit and I was like, oh, yeah, Pit. And it was... Like the part of it too was like digital coloring had come a long way since I'd read comics last. And so the colors just blew my mind and it was like pit and it was, I think issue like 17 or something. And it was like pit and he had his hands covered in blood and there's a pile of dead soldiers and he just had ugly Americans in blood. And I was like, what is this? And then the other comic I picked up was, um, Daredevil issue three of the Marvel Knight stuff with Kevin Smith oh, and Joe nice. Quesada. That's good. And it had the, um, I think Richard Isonov eventually took over the coloring, but originally the first issues were like Brian Haberlin Studios. Okay. And I just, I never seen comics colored like that before. It like blew my mind. And in issue three of that story, that's the Guardian Devil story yeah. arc. Yeah. The third issue there's like a scene where he just jumps off this building and he's just swinging. And it's like exactly what Jack Kirby wanted everyone to draw. Like, and just like the feet and the hands, everything's coming right out. Like the foreshortening. Yeah. And I'd never seen anything like that. And like, just like the heavy blacks of like Joe Casada and Jimmy Palmiotti inking. And I was just like, so back in like a hundred percent back into comics. Nice. And then I was in high school and I was a comic book nerd because <laughs> the whole high school was not into comic books like me. So did people make fun of you or whatever? No, I'm not making fun. I think part of it too was because that I drew right. and people would see my art. It was really good. So they would, they, I think they were just like, yeah, like, yeah, of course you read comic books. Like you should, you should draw comic books. You're that good. And I was like, I mean, obviously I wasn't, but I think that's part of it. And also like, my high school was not, like, no one got bullied or picked on or anything. Everyone just got along pretty well. Yeah, like, that was my high school, too. Yeah, like, I, I remember watching, like, movies and TV shows, and, like, they'd have these, like, jocks bully the nerds, and, like, we didn't have that. Everyone just got along fine. Like, there was <laughs> kids that were kind of cooler than other kids, but, like, I played football, I played rugby, but also I read comic books. I was, like, on the yearbook committee. We You're had on the like, yearbook the, committee? Yeah. As what? What did you uh, do? I just kind of did whatever, but mostly I just wanted to hang out. 
somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So like, every, I think I was just more of a distraction for everyone else working on the yearbook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you would get, if you were on the yearbook committee, you get a free copy of the yearbook, you nice. know, to buy one. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, I'll just pretend I'm part of the yearbook committee. And then I would like, yeah, I just get a free yearbook at the end of the year. That's so awesome. Like, I don't know how much they cost, 30 bucks back then. Nice. Who knows? Yeah. So like, like we, in our high school, we had, we had nerds play magic cards, but like, Right. If you had that in a TV show, they'd be like, some guy would come over and like knock their cards on the floor and be like, nerds. But we just like, we're like, yeah, those guys play magic cards, leave them alone. And like the big black guys play dominoes and like everyone got along real well. Yeah. And I always had like different groups of friends too. Like it wasn't just like you were part of the, this particular clique. Like I moved around and like had skater friends. Yeah. Yeah. We had skaters who were like the stoner guys out back behind the cafeteria and like, yeah, you talk to them and they're they're cool too. Like yeah, everyone's exactly, fine. Exactly. Cool. Yeah, I don't know. We, I, I had a good high school experience, and then yeah, I just got right back into comic books and like Dale Keown, Joe Casada, and then I just started following all my favorite artists. And that's when I realized, like, I was like, I don't care if it's like Green Lantern. I care like who's the artist. Drawing. Who's the artist? Which you're still like now. Yeah, that's whenever, how I am. Whenever for you sure. talk to me about comics, it's always like. Yeah. Th- this artist. Like, yeah, I'll, like, I'll banding a character so quick. It's like I care about the creative team that's writing. Right. Mostly the artist, but like, yeah, I'll follow good writers too. And that's because of that awakening with the Guardian Devil stuff and the Joe Quesada stuff. Yeah. Where you're like, I've never seen that kind of art before. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then and then I got into like the authority and the Frank Whiteley stuff and I was like, whoa. Wow. Now I'm I'm reading the, the Jupiter's Legacy and I'm so happy because Frank Quitely's back with Mark Miller on doing like comic books and superhero right. stuff again. Cause yeah. that's why I got into Quitely was the, the authority stuff. And I was like, I'd never seen books like that before. Mm-hmm. And then Frank Quitely left the authority and just worked with Grant Morrison like forever, which I like his stuff with Grant Morrison, but I, with him and like Mark Miller doing superhero comics, there's nothing better than that. I don't think. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Like it's damn near heaven. Yeah. Have you seen, there's this new book from image that I'm reading called seven to eternity. No. I don't and know. it's with like Rick Remender. Rick Remender. Is that, is that his yeah, name? Rick Remender, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And he, that art on that book is like, is like wild. It's like oh. this, it's like this fantasy story. Where well, do you know who the the artist is? Or no? I, I'm not sure who the artist is, but you should, you should check it out. It comes out at the end out. of the month, every month. Oh, yeah. And it's like this story of this family who gets exiled by like this evil king because he like he refused to like bow down to the king and was like super, super mm-hmm. principled or whatever. Yeah. But then something happens and, and his son has to go back to like confront this king and, uh, you know, crazy it's an image book craziness ensues. Yeah. Yeah. It just, I it, like Rick Remender. I like image. I love what image, like I don't read much DC Marvel anymore yeah. just cause I don't know what the hell is happening. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They've done this thing where they, they keep rebooting everything and it, I think it's supposed to bring in new readers, but it, it alienates the people that like, I literally have no idea because then, they, like, the new 52, they rebooted everything except Batman and Green Lantern because those stories were so, like, how does that work? Where, like, like everyone else doesn't yeah. have a history anymore, but Batman still has this history. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Like, I was just like, fuck this. Like, yeah, I can't. Yeah. DC is particularly doing it badly. Like, <sighs> like Marvel, at least they they sort of guide you along and let you know, like, when new arcs are starting. I guess, yeah. And that kind of thing. And there were good books. Like, like have you ever... Did you read The Vision? No. When Tom King was doing The Vision? No. That was... It just ended, like, last month. Oh, okay. Amazing. Yeah? Get it in, get it in graphic novel. It's, it's the craziest thing. Like, 
Think dude, of, can I read just that? Because that's the yeah, problem. Is dude, like I, dude. Everything's tied into each other. No, no, no. It's not it even anymore. tied in. It's it's just its own standalone story. 12, okay. is, 12 issues. All right. I'm so in. it's like one graphic novel, and I think they're going to release another one, and then yeah. that's it. All right. I'll check it out. It's that awesome. Good. It's yeah. like if the vision became like one of those like really steely horror-ish androids like the unfeeling yeah. android type thing it's 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 really cool i go by art like if i check it out and the art looks wicked i'll just buy it yeah like, well mike del Mundo's doing the covers oh all right I and then mike i don't del. know who the interior mike del Mundo's so good man i've seen yeah. he's like he's doing avengers now yeah oh my god the art on that is so good yeah, he's yeah. insanely good and he's he's from here right yeah he's yeah. like he lives in like markham or something like it's that it's crazy yeah crazy. no i like i've always thought his art was good but now it's like whoa yeah totally yeah so i mean you're getting back into comics right at the time when you have to think about like graduating from school and like what you're gonna do yeah for a living so were you immediately like this is what i want to do or, it's such a weird thing where I always wanted to draw comic books, but I didn't make my first, other than that one from grade five, I didn't make my first comic book until I was 25. I was just working and having fun and being a young 20 year old guy and having like partying. Right. So you didn't and really know what you were doing. You were just like. Not only that, I just didn't, I had no work ethic. Like I didn't sit down and work at it. I literally like when when I was 11, I decided I wanted to draw comic books, but I didn't make one until I was 25. Like, how crazy is that, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I literally came to a point, like, I would draw, like, uh, as a hobby and show, and people would be like, dude, you got to make this book. And I would I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to. And I just would never get around to it. Right. I didn't want to, I could go out and party or I could sit down and work. And it's hard when you have friends that want to party too. And they're like, I'm going to go home and draw instead of come out on Saturday night. And they're like, the fuck are you crazy? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you get to sit home and draw, like come and like let's have fun. So I had a lot of fun, and then when I was twenty five, like, a couple people just kind of were like, "What are you doing? Like sit down and make some fucking books." So I booked anybody um, we know was trying to encourage you, or no, no one. You know, it was literally um, I was working two different places, and these two guys that I work with who were creative types, they, they like one guy was like a music producer guy, and that was he what he wanted to do, and he was just like sit down and make your fucking like they literally had these talks i was like yes okay i will i will do that nice. you know what's so funny is one of these guys so i lost touch with him but he was one of the guys that like drove me to make my first comic books and like book um like a table at a convention i ran into him he came by my table i haven't seen him in i don't know more than five years where like, were you working it's a shopper drug okay. yeah i was like managing shopper drug. okay and then this guy who like kind of was like a rude awakening was like do some fucking comics. And I was like, yes, yes, you're right. I ran it. I lost touch with him over like the last five years. He came by our table at, I think fan expo like last year. And he was like, Oh, nice. These are your books. And I was like, this is like, I want to tell this guy you meant so much. And he was like, yeah, whatever. He kind of just like, didn't buy my book. Didn't care. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck, man? Like this guy was like, drove me hard to like make my book. So you did the care. whole story. You're like, I mean, I didn't do it just for him, but he was like a big, blah, blah, blah. big step. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you, then you were telling everybody and then he's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, he came by and he was like, oh, hey. And I was like, man, it's been forever. And I was like, 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 look at my books. Like, yeah, look, yeah, yeah. like you were a key to this. Like now <laughs> I'm partnered with Ricky. I have all like, I'm on like, I think at the time we had six issues of Blackwell Hunters out. And I was like, like, look at this. And he was like, cause he was into video games, this guy. And he was like a video game designer or something. And he was like doing really well. I was like, not only is this guy going to be so proud, he's going to buy all my books and be, and he was just like, 
all right, man, cool. See you later. And he's like, was so uninterested. And I was like, holy shit, that did not go how I thought. Like, I didn't expect to see him. But then when I did, it was just such a funny thing. I was like, all right, cool. And, and Ricky is sitting there like laughing at you? No, well, Ricky had no idea who he was, yeah. right? Because we always have people that come by that you recognize yeah, and know yeah, from yeah. somewhere else. So, yeah, and I don't think Ricky actually knows that story. Maybe, I don't know. But I just remember thinking like, man, that guy was such a key to like kicking me in the ass. And then he didn't care at all. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny. That's hilarious. Yeah, so I made, so what I did was it, that summer uh, when I was, I think, 25, that's 2007, the the idea of Fan Expo was too daunting, like it was such a big deal, but I was like, I booked a table at uh, Paradise, their Paradise 2007 show. Oh, yeah. And I, that was the first show that I went, not not the 2007, but the 2003 was the, like the first, oh, the first, the first Paradise, one that yeah. I did, the first Paradise. Well, I never, I didn't know Paradise had shows. I was, I had been going to Fan Expo since before it was called Fan Expo, since like, I think 98. I remember meeting Joe Casada and Kevin Smith there and just being like such a fanboy. And me and my buddies would always go. Did you get your comics signed? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah multiple. I, I literally, uh, I have a Daredevil book signed by Joe Casada in. 99 and then I forgot I didn't see his signature I brought him to him and it signed 10 years later in 2009 like the same key. he was like this is already signed I was like eh, can you just sign it again he was like yeah alright but yeah no I was like and I remember in 2005 I met like Frank Whiteley when he was just starting on All-Star Superman I was like whoa yeah. and I, the girl I was with at the time I was just like she saw I was such a nerd about Frank Whiteley and I like I showed him my stuff and he was like he was very positive and nice and like gave me some concern I was like oh my god Frank Whiteley when I when when I met Frank Whiteley, I wouldn't stop talking to him about it, about the fact that his name isn't actually his name. Yeah, his so name's Vince something. Declan something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that, yeah. Something like that? Yeah, it's a pen name, so quite I, frankly. It's like quite, a play exactly, words. Exactly. So, so I was like, dude, how do you sign your checks? Like, what do you sign your checks as? And like, what's your... Oh, yeah. So, so that was our conversation when I, when, I, when I met Frank Whiteley. Gibson knows him. Have you yeah. interviewed Gibson? No, I, I'm you going to. You should get to. him on the show. I'm going to. Gibson's my buddy, yeah. He's like, he knows him very well. He's been to his studio in like Scotland right. and shit, yeah. That's awesome. So you're 25. Oh yeah. And your 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 Paradise was like the first show that you went to. Yeah. And I remember reading cuz I I didn't know how to make a comic book. Like I I mean I could have figured it out, but I didn't realize like I never there was no one there to be like, "Hey, look, this is how it's done." So I was I remember seeing I think it was Jim Jim Mafood, the guy he does like the indie stuff. He did a thing in Wizard and it was like how to make a little zine. And it was literally just how to take eight and a half by 11 paper, fold it, and each one is like each half page is so you have four pages from one sheet. People don't understand how influential like Wizard was Wizard to kids was like us. I, I was obsessed with like it's such a shame that Wizard got so like after the movie started getting popular, Wizard went downhill. Yeah. It was all about movie news, which you can get anywhere, but. The comic book stuff, especially the early 90s and the late 90s, the how-to stuff. Right, and they were oh. doing casting calls for movies, like, way yeah. before <sighs> I got It got to a point in the out. late 90s where I was more excited about Wizard than any other comic book. Right. Like, that was the highlight. No, that was totally. And they had these sick covers, like Ed McGinnis when he was on Superman, and they'd have Joe Mad do, like, Ninja Turtle covers just for, like, one-off articles. Right. Oh, it was the great. Wizard was the greatest. Yeah, Wizard was awesome. Yeah, and one of those how-tos was Jim Afoods how to make a little zine. And I remember being like, oh, I can do that. I know how to buy paper and draw on paper. And then I literally, my first book, 
it was called The Almighty, and it was this little guy. And they were silent because I really liked silent comics and, like, that Silent Snake Eyes issue we talked about, the Larry Hama stuff. I just really loved the idea of, like, a silent comic book, especially as an artist. And not really knowing how to write, I was like, I'm just going to, like, draw it. I'm not going to write script. And I just drew this character who would go around, and um, he's this fat little hairy guy. His name was Shaga Haramesh. Okay. <laughs> I haven't drawn him in so long. They were very crudely drawing, but he would go around and fight different champions and take like a talisman from them. Okay. And I did two issues of it and it was like these little zines and one he fights like this super soldier Nazi character and then the other one he fights like a the guy kind of looked like a ripoff of like a Dalsim from Street Fighter, but it was like a, a voodoo shaman guy. Right. But literally the books were just two guys beating the shit out of each other for however many pages. And I went like, I went to the paradise show and I sold them for two bucks and I made no money. Like I sold a few of them, but I was just excited to be doing like doing a show and having something to sell. Did you have to buy a table or no? Yeah. I paid for an artist alley table. I don't remember what it cost yeah. at the time, but like I did not make my money back, yeah. but I didn't like, I was just so happy to be doing it. And I yeah. was like, Oh, I'm behind the table now. And then it, from there, and then at that show, I met Joel Buxton, who's huh. now my roommate, but we worked on an uh, awesome Marcus Ninja comic for three years together. Okay. So I like that's where I met him at that first show. That's awesome. Yeah, I went by his table to meet like his artist. His artist wasn't there, so I talked to him. And then he contacted me like a few months later. was like, my artist is leaving my webcomic. Do you want to draw this for me? And I was like, yeah. So yeah. what is this awesome Marcus Ninja? Yeah. Explain uh, it to me. It was just a webcomic about this character that Joel and this guy Ian created. And it was this, he was a Toronto based kind of like, like how pitiful human lizards set in Toronto. Right. So we'd use like Toronto as like a, um, like they had a fight over the DVP and stuff in like one of the books. But, uh, and he worked, he had a part-time job at the, the zoo in Scarborough. Oh, nice. Joel wrote it and I drew it and it was just little weekly web strips about this guy, Marcus Ninja, who was just, he was kind of like the tick. He never took off his costume and he was just always, and he just like, he was a superhero ninja who had like a girlfriend and balances like social life. And like, yeah, it was kind of fun. We did it for like almost three years. Nice. Nice. Cool. So that was your like first like ongoing gig. Yeah. What was that like? Like having to like do deadlines and like be... It was good at first. I was hitting my deadlines a lot, but then I... I was still like, at this point, I I was still not done having fun and party. So that was still an issue. So I started like slipping and they they weren't, they were like every two weeks all of a sudden. And then I wanted to expand. I would always like challenge him on scripts too and be like, how about instead of one page, why don't we do a two pager? Because we do a web comp with the ideas that you collect in a book at the end of the year. Right, right. Because all the strips become like a graphic novel. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, well, when I want, like, let's do a two pager. Let's do a three, four pager. And I was like, how about like this one panel? We do a splash page. So they kept getting bigger in my mind. And like, so everything became more epic. And so it took, started taking longer. So I wasn't as disciplined, but also like, it wasn't like a formal job either, so it was like easy to. It wasn't like paying you. Or no, no, no. no. Yeah. But, but like we we like we'd sell the books and we split the profit right. and everything. But it wasn't like a, a hard deadline gig that I'd lose if I didn't make this. So it was easy to miss deadlines and stuff. So it wasn't really until I started working on like the Blackwell Hunter stuff with Ricky that I started becoming like very like disciplined with what I was doing. You've been listening to Speech Bubble. Back after this. 
The Hairy Tarantula sells games and comics to bright and imaginative people like you. Thus, we value your mind. Without it, you'd be stupid, and we'd be out of business. So stop drinking diet sodas contaminated with aspartame, and stop microwaving your brain with a cellular phone. And if that's too much to ask, then for God's sake, spare our kids from electrochemical lobotomization. Thanks for playing. Please come again. Harry Tarantula. Look us up if you know how. This freedom of speech moment paid for by the Harry Tarantula. 354 Young, upstairs. Online at H-A-I-R-Y-T.com. That's HarryT.com. Welcome back. And now, more speech bubble. All right. So, how long did that take? You're doing the Marcus Ninja stuff. Marcus Ninja, we stopped in 2010. Okay. And then I just kind of floated around and did little projects. I worked with like Phil McClory on a thing, and then um, Phil just, McClory is the editor of uh, Monstrosity, right? Editor of Monstrosity. I've known Phil since since 2007 when I first did my first show. He was just getting into comics at the same time too. So yeah, I've known Phil a long time, and we just we didn't work as many on as many projects together as we talked about doing. But like we always like we kind of started around the same time. Monstrosity kind of came. I mean, you should interview them. But have you interviewed Phil or no? No, I'm going to basically like. Phil wasn't trying to do like uh, an editor of like an anthology. That wasn't his plan. He he did Horror in the West, his original book, and it was just because Phil's a writer and a really right. good writer. And he did his own books, The Book of Methuselah, and I did a story in there. Adam Gorham, that's when I first saw Adam Gorham stuff, like a, way back in 2009. Yeah. He would just do these little anthology stories that he wrote all of them, and he would pay artists to, to draw on them. And then the whore in the West, he wanted to do that. And then he was like, well, I'll make an anthology, but mainly basically it'd be like a showcase for his writing. And then monstrosity came up. Like the next thing was a monstrosity. It was just a continuation of that. And then Brian Avenue got involved. And then they like Brian Avenue also wants to showcase his art. Cause he's a really good artist. Right. So it kind of became like, it's like a showcase for his art with, and then involving all these other people. And then it kind of went on it, like became a thing all its own. Everyone was like, monstrosity we got to get in that book and now brian brian and phil were less writers and artists they were still doing that but now they're editors and it's like they're taking on all these other duties that they like they just want to write and draw i think right, right i mean right. i'm speaking for them but like but it became like an anthology that they had to like manage and stuff. yeah like and i think and then i think phil kind of was like oh like i like it i like what it's doing but it seems like he wants to get back to writing and now phil's working on a samurai book and he had a preview at tcaf he has an artist it's not ready yet but he's got adam gorham to do the cover and it looks so good man adam gorham and on did you ever read the violent his book from image yeah that, of course I, I buy everything by adam gorham. it was so good adam gorham's gonna do our next cover for black hole hunters club is he? Yeah. That's awesome. He's the greatest. He's like such a hero of mine. He's such a good guy. What is it about Adam Gorham that you love? Everything. Everything about Adam Gorham I love. <laughs> well, he's the nicest guy. Like yeah. He's not just like, like I, he's a good friend. He's a nice guy. And he's just, art blows me away. He literally, like we bonded first. I remember at like Fred's Barbecue, we bonded over um, Frank Whiteley because that was also his favorite artist. Nice. Fred's Barbecue? Fred Kennedy. Okay, yeah, yeah. Fearless yeah. Fred. Like, he has yeah. a big lamb roast. Yeah, 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 yeah. We were like, I remember the first one I went to because me and Adam and I were both working for Fred for his big sexy comics. Okay. I was just gushing over Adam's. I was like pretty drunk and Adam's wife was there and she was, I think they had to go, but I was just gushing over Adam's work. And then, and he was like, see, like, let me have this. Like, let this, like, I have someone who wants to gush over my work. Like, let me, let me have this. I was like, yeah, leave us alone. Let me gush over his work for a bit. I just love, I literally Adam's improved. So, I mean, when I first saw his work on Phil's books in 2009, I was like, who's this guy? And he's just become more dynamic, just improved. Like, 
he did time at the raid studio, which made him like, you've seen like him jump leaps and bounds too. And just everything he draws is better than the last thing he drew. Right. Right. Which is so good. Like, it's crazy. It's like, crazy. Everything in the violent is so beautiful. Like, yeah. I, I love it. I'm like his biggest fan. I'll buy anything by Adam Gorham. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the violent is going to, like, they're going to redo it. They're going to do like they're a, Kickstarter do a Kickstarter. Yeah. They're for, like the next out. volume of it. Yeah. Stuff. Because I think, uh, it didn't really sell well enough for like image to keep, Publishing yeah. it, but they're going to support them w- by collecting the graphic yeah, novels exactly. and stuff. Yeah, something like that. So, it's yeah. hard, I guess, to do like a single issue story. I don't know. It looked great. The yeah, colors were amazing. It was amazing. And I'm from Vancouver, yeah. so that book really spoke to me. I mean, Monstrosity yeah. was its own like sort of – it was like a monster anthology for those who didn't yeah. didn't know about it or didn't read it. We talked a little bit about it in the Brian Avenue episode yeah. of this show. So you're doing these like one-off things – and then how did you meet Ricky? Right around that time uh, when I was just kind of floating around and I I was planning on doing Morris, which is my new book that I'm going to be, I guess we can talk about it. We'll after. talk about it, yeah. But um, I wanted to, I went to a stadium comics event because I remember seeing these stadium comics videos with Ricky. And with Kevin. Ricky. Yeah. yeah, and Kevin Hickey, they do the unboxing windows and like they had these, this big, I think it was like a hundredth episode party or something. And I was like. Why wasn't I invited to that? And I was like, oh, because I don't know any of those guys. So when there was an opportunity to go to Stadium Comics, I put out a thing to like I think Kevin, who I didn't know, and I was like, hey man, can I come out to this? Like I'm an artist too, and he was like, yeah, absolutely, like come out. And then I went out with Phil and Brian. That's when they first asked me to go work on Monstrosity. And then I met Ricky there. He had just released Deep Sea with uh, with. Uh, David Bishop. David Bishop, who we've also had on the show. And I just bought great. DC. Love David Bishop, too. He's just such a good, such a, another guy. Great artist, great friend, like such a nice guy. Yeah. And then I, I remember talking to Ricky, liking, like, I love the whole Stadium Comics guys. Rob, Kev, Ricky, such great guys. And then they did, we did, um, I think you were at this, like, 24-hour comic jam later on. It was, like, 2013. Yeah. At the at, comic book lounge. At the comic book lounge. I wasn't working on Karen it. Karen was managing. Was this yeah. the first one with Karen doing yeah, the whole thing? Yeah, it was in like, I mean, it was winter. And I remember. Yeah. Ty Templeton's wife, Karen. Yeah. Karen. Karen Smith. Yeah. Smith. I, I wasn't working on a book, but I went, I wanted to go by because Adam was there. I barely knew Brian Avenue, but Brian Avenue was there. And then there was like, it's funny too, because I have a picture. I was sitting with a bunch of those guys and I knew like none of them. And now I know them all so well. It's like Tony Smearig. Bryce Hall, Brian Avenue, Adam Gorham, and Ricky Lima. And now, like, I know all of them, like, so well. But at the time, I knew, like, Adam and kind of Brian. Right. Ricky was working on a book, and it was – he was doing a 24-hour comic challenge. But he he's like, I can't draw. So he was doing a collage one. He was just cutting out magazines and making a collage comic book. Yeah. And I remember just being like, ah, I like what this guy's doing. Like, I, I like him as a guy. Like, everyone knows Ricky's a nice guy. But I remember being like – I like his drive. He's like, I, I want, it, it kind of reminded me of the, if you see early, like Brian Michael Bendis stuff. Right. He does a lot of like, it was kind of like photo tracing. I don't want to say yeah, for yeah, sure, yeah. That's like, like, but that's what it looks like. Like, like the alias issues were sort of like no, that. No, I mean like, uh, cause I, th- I don't think he did art on alias. I think someone else did, but it was like the, uh, like Jinx. Right, right, right. Goldfish. Jinx. Yeah, yeah. Though that stuff, it's like really early on. All his and, independent stuff. Yeah. Like and before, I, so I think, yeah. I think what he did was like, he wasn't a great artist, but he, I think he, what he did was just photo reference everything and kind of use that as like, the basis for all of his art. So it's kind of looks photo real, like heavy shadow stuff. Right. Something like that. But anyways, Ricky reminded me, I was like, Oh, like I like that idea. A guy who's so driven that who wants to tell stories 
He's like, I can't draw, so I'll figure out a way to make this book. So then I started talking to Ricky, and we started bouncing ideas off each other. And then, so then there was the next comic book challenge. Did like, you work with him on the twenty four hour comic challenge, or you just you just hung out with him? No, I I just hung out there. Okay. I just checked. I just came and checked out, see what my friends were doing. Yeah, and this yeah, thing. Yeah. And then at the, they had one later on that year in April. It was a twelve hour comic book challenge, and I was like, Well, I'll work with Ricky on something. I was like, Let's do something for this, and that way I'm not committed to like working on something big like i can still focus on my morris book but for 12 hours i work with you and then we've turned out a cool 12 uh, 12 page story and right? it's done and you're you're on your your other thing and that was the first issue of black hole hunters club which we didn't have a name for at the time but it was basically bounced like like i have a just a folder of just ideas that i like half finished ideas really like like close to finished ideas like just basic ideas that i could like do stuff with and i so i went to that where do you get them all from like just when I think of things, yeah. I, I start planning stuff and stories, and then sometimes you don't know what to do with it or where to go with it. Right. So, but I have sketches and stuff there, so I keep like folders and just kind of like base with projects that I will eventually do something with or plan to, or you can incorporate them together, whatever. Right. Yeah. So I went to that and I was like, Ricky, what do you think of this idea? It was about this alien. Ricky liked it, and it like Ricky does really well if you give him like a spark of something, and he's like, okay. And then he turned. It wasn't my original. My original idea was kind of like uh, it, it was kind of like a pit ripoff. Now that I like think back about right, it. So what did you want to do? It was just like uh, so the large character in Black Hunters when he turns big and huge. Like if you look at him, yeah. he kind of looks like a ripoff of Pit. Like he's a little bit different, but like you're like oh he's like a ball like big like bald alien with like these big claws. And he's just like a hulking guy. Yeah, and it like, was like like Pit because I loved Pit so much and Dale Keown stopped doing it and I just was like oh my god I like someone should be doing like Pit. So it was basically it was like an alien comes to Earth and like tries to become like a, he was like this big ugly alien who thinks he looks like he transforms to a human but what he thinks like he's like yeah i look like a human but he's just an ugly monster and like he tries to save the day so like the idea was like a school would be on fire and he'd rescue all the kids from the school and be like i'm there like he would be like the hero but everyone would just be like this giant monster burned the school down and like you know like all the like accounts would be different they would just like blame him for everything yeah, kind of like, like the like the the jameson with the uh, spider-man like blame make him a menace even though he's trying to save the day right that was the original idea and then it turned into the black hole hunters club which is like different but there's a lot of those original ideas in place where did the like where did the bounty hunting like the space bounty hunting thing well that was ricky's twist on it instead of an alien coming to earth he was like let's have aliens be the 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 bounty hunters and they're hunting down a human character as opposed to like the humans always killing aliens and stuff like that. That's, that was Ricky just kind of flipping it around. Right. Right. And And then, yeah, we sold, we went at the free comic book day that year. We printed, I think a hundred of them and we sold most of them. So, and the 20, the 12 hour comic challenge, that's like the first 12 pages of the first issue. That the first issue is twelve pages. Is twelve pages? Yeah, okay. exactly. Cool. That was like our model for a while. We just did like twelve issue, uh, twelve page issues. Okay. And then yeah, so with them like it was like people really liked it. People were really into it, and they were like, "Let's do another issue." So for Fan Expo that year, we did a second issue, and then right. we came up with this over like this whole like um, story arc. And that became the first six issues of Black Hole Hunters Club. So when I talked to Ricky, he liked working with you because you're disciplined and you're, he told me, mm-hmm. one of the things he told me was, <laughs> you're all about pacing 
and like figuring out the pacing. No, I'm so, not all about so, Well, no, no, but, but he said, he said like, he really helps me pace up my stories and like, yeah. cause he's like, I have these huge ideas and I want to do all this, all these stuff. And you're all about like the way that like those ideas are executed in the panels and, and those sorts of things. Yeah. Well, I have to like lay it out and figure it out, but also I find like Ricky, I think is a really good writer. I love working with him. His, Biggest issue is uh, overwriting stuff. Right. Like, so the, literally there's um, just little things where, like, it's dialogue explaining too much or, like, this doesn't need to be said the, if we're showing it right now. Or there'll be literally, like, sometimes we're just like, this whole page is just not necessary. Like, I, I often would say to him, I'd be like, let's take this out and see, like, it looks stronger without it, actually. Mm-hmm. And then he would be like, he always agreed. And he, the, the great thing about work, he's not precious about his stuff. A lot of writers are very precious about their stuff. Right. I've changed like a, a lot of like dialogue because I go like, I read it and then I go, I always just say like the best way to find out if the dialogue sounds like corny or silly is just say it out loud. You just say it out loud. You'll immediately know. You'll just be like, oh yeah, that's not like no one talks like that. So then you just kind of reword it. Like, how would it sound more natural? Or like, how would this character say it kind of? Right, right. And so, yeah, I just, we just do a lot of like, I'm a self-taught artist. Like I never really took like formal training. So I, I don't really like work properly. So when I do my layouts, when I do scripting, when I do every part of like drawing for me is like not done how you think traditional art. So, so how do you do it? So I do, what I do is I do really, really rough thumbnail drawings of like how I want the page layout Right, really rough because I don't want the drawing to be that good because sometimes there's like, and Frank Whiteley's talked about it in an interview and I, it really like spoke to me as he said that this original like little sketch, you sometimes you nail this energy or this like intangible thing that the character has. And then you try to recreate that on the bigger page and you just, it's missing that. Like, and then you're looking at this little sketch and you're going like, Oh man, that's way better. Like that is done better than how I can do it, redo it. So I try to do really rough, very, very rough thumbnail. Just so like, if you see my thumbnail layouts, you would think like you just, only I can see what's going on. Like no one else would piece it together. Right. Because I don't want to do too much. I don't want to do the good drawing there. I want to save it for the page. Right. right? But then when I do my pages, I like, I won't draw the first, like I won't pencil the first panel and then pencil the whole page and then ink the, I'll like, sometimes I'll pencil like the second panel first and start inking that before I draw anything else. But like, I know where the page is going. I'm just like all over the place. Because you just need the motivation? Like, No, I have like ADD. Okay. I don't really have actual ADD, but I have a low attention span and I just, I can't focus on things for too long. And right. so like, I'll be like, I'll finish this panel and then I'll work on the other. And I kind of just be like. Jump around. Yeah. Which is not a great system, but it's like how I have to work. I right. Guess. Right. Yes. I just don't have a great attention span. As long as you get it done. Yeah. That's the key is getting you, it done. You know what I mean? How did you. Go from somebody who wasn't that disciplined to now you're working with Ricky and now you are I'm not more that disciplined. Dis- I don't think that's true. I've gone a long time between issues. I don't know. It's uh, I'm not I'm not that disciplined. So I don't right. I'm I'm still very undisciplined. But I like it helps. Um. So when I <laughs> when I was working on my own books, if I don't get it done, I'm only disappointed in myself, and I'm like whatever. Right. But if you're working with someone like Ricky and we've booked like fan expo and we're going to be selling a book at fan expo and we need, we want to debut this new issue there. I got to get that done. You right. know, like I, if I don't show up, then it's like, Oh fuck. Like we'll sell books, but we don't have anything new. It's not, we don't have, we lose momentum. So like you want to get it done. You want to set up certain goals and get it done by then. Right. Right. There's a lot of power in the kind of like painting yourself into a corner and like work. I do really well when I like, 
You know what I mean? Like you, you're like up against the deadline. Yeah, and you're like, oh shit! Like I gotta do this yeah. now. Like I, it's one thing I do that's not related to Congress, but I have a, a really good friend of mine, and we we play tennis every year. Okay. Like we go in the summers and we play tennis, and we're we're not good. Like if anyone was really good at tennis, they'd kill us. But like for each other, we're competitive. Like we've been playing ten years, and we're not getting any better. <laughs> but we're competitive with each other. Yeah. But I realize like I can always beat him if I try hard. But some days I don't. If I lose him, it's because I wasn't trying. So what I do is like I just talk so much. He's very competitive, so I talk so much shit. And I'll just be like, oh, like how I'm just gonna like destroy for like a week. I'll talk shit about how I'm gonna kill him in tennis. Yeah. And then when we get there, like I have to back it up because I've been talking so much shit. Right. And then I'll have a really good game. I'll win. Like I went on a streak one summer. I think I beat him every game. Yeah. Like I never lost to him because I realized like if I try really hard, I can always beat him. Like yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. Not that I'm good, but I'm slightly better than him. So you work really, really well under pressure. Then, yeah. Basically. That's one thing. Uh, Paint yourself into a corner sometimes. It helps. It works for people. That's awesome. Like, like, for example, like my first con that I ever did, I booked a table at Paradise, and now I had a goal to get a book done, right? Like, just things like that. Set up goals for yourself and, like, make sure you achieve them. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's awesome. How did you get into teaching? Like, you said that you were teaching, like, drawing and stuff. Oh, yeah. I So I taught in, um, like, 2002. 11 to 2013, I taught a part-time course at Centennial College. I knew people that worked in Centennial College and they suggested me to their art director and they, he, he was like, what do you, what do you got? And I was like, how, what about this like, um, comic book fundamental course? And, um, we built up this, like, it was like an eight week course. They didn't have any comic book courses? No, they had art and illustration courses, but nothing directly kind of like comic books. And okay. like, I guess with Sheridan and a lot of schools, I guess there's like the Centennial College, I guess, wanted to be like, let's get into the comic book world a bit. So we did this part-time course. It was an eight-week course that I designed. And it was start- basically each week was I just taught them like a basic like fundamental of drawing. And at the end of it, you'll make your like a comic book. That would right. be like your, like not a whole thing, but like a story. You'll write a story and you'll... Or you could, I, I believe, like, it's been a while now, but I believe we had, like, you could do a script you could, if you didn't want to write it yourself. But right. Most people did. And it was, yeah, I just thought, like, okay, like, this week is, like, we talk about, like, how we draw lighting. Like, next week would just be, like, I don't think we didn't, we never got in a three-point perspective, but, like, we did one-point perspective, two-point perspective, focus on anatomy, that type of thing. Just right. And I did that a couple semesters, and I don't know why it didn't really take off. It was a part-time course. I don't like, I don't know if they didn't promote it well enough or, but we did it a couple of times and it was really like great, but like there was just always like low enrollment after that. And I I wasn't super into teaching like, right. cause I, I liked it. I really loved it, but it, I really wanted to be a good art teacher. Cause I had a lot of bad art teachers growing up. Like I think most bad, like they're like discouraging you and shit. Yeah. I, like I had a lot of art teachers growing up and I think two of them were really taught me stuff and the rest of them are like bullshit they're literally the guys who are like failed artists who just started doing it because they they couldn't be an artist yeah and they weren't they never encouraged people like think outside the box they literally would have a class and here's your project and then they have 30 kids and they have 30 projects they want to all look the same like if you try and i was always someone that questioned authority and stuff like that so they didn't i didn't do well in art school because they didn't like me so you tried going to art school uh no i'm like i did advanced art school in like high school and and then i went to um centennial funny because i dropped out of centennial's art program okay okay so i tried it and i just like school wasn't i'm never i was never good at school so you went to centennial art program you sort of clashed with the teachers yeah, I, well, Centennial, I just, like, stopped going. I just didn't like 
being in school and yeah. I didn't have to. So I was like, why am I doing this? And then, yeah, years later, I like 10 years later, I was teaching a course there, which is like ironic, but Crazy. yeah, I put together this course. We did it for a bit. It paid really well, but I didn't really want to push it too hard. I didn't want to, I didn't want to be a teacher. I didn't want to become one of those failed artists that become a teacher. So but like, you did want to like redeem. Art what teacher. I did was I wanted, when I did teach, I said, I want to make sure everyone gets it. Like, mm -hmm. I don't want to just phone it in and be like, here's my curriculum I'm doing. And if you don't get it, whatever I want. I had usually I had about like eight students at a time. Like it was a small, like part-time course. And these are people that came from like, they were either older and they've always wanted to draw comic books. They did. They ended up doing something else. A lot of them were like graphic designers, but they were like, I want to draw. So, they, right. and then so there was like some raw talent there. And then I would make sure that every one of those students, it was like a three hour class every week. I wanted to make sure that they all took something away every week and like got the lesson. And then I realized like, it's so draining to do that. Like it's, it's a lot of like mental energy to try and make sure everyone gets it. Cause it's like one-on-one -on -one time that you're taking. Yeah. And you'd also have students that would do better and just pick it up real quick. And then you have some people that are just like defeatist and just not into it and like make excuses. But like, even those people, I was like, I'm going to make sure they like get it. Cause I want them to get their money's worth. And then I would leave that class for three hours. I would just be like exhausted. I was like, I don't think I can do this anymore. Like it's really hard to be a really good teacher. It's right. really easy to phone it in, but I would never do that. But anyways, I was just like, yeah, I got to get back to just like making comic books. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So Black Hole Hunters is is happening. How do you sustain your enthusiasm to keep doing it? Because you and Ricky are still doing it. I think you're on like issue seven, right? Issue seven, yeah. Right, right. So, so if it's an ongoing, right? Yeah. You have like an arc in mind and stuff. So how do you keep it going? Like how, how do you sustain the enthusiasm? Because a lot of books... The death of ongoing books happen, especially independent ones, yeah. because the creative team like gives up or they, you know, you know that kind of thing. I think it's the arcs, like um, making making the uh, like the story arc. And really want to get like we came up with the new story. So issue six was the end of the first story arc, and then issue seven. Obviously, we're starting a new one. And we have this new villain and all this. I came up with the idea for this story arc. I think at issue two of the first, like we way back, and we've been talking about doing this for a while so like it's and and then i already like i'm already planning the third story arc and like different ideas that we're gonna do and i'm always constantly like coming up with ideas and throwing them at ricky and he has ideas or bounce and we're like sometimes i just do a doodle of like a weird little alien character and i'm like what can this be something can we work him in like it doesn't have to be a main character but maybe this guy can be like works at the bounty office or something like that I just like just so i get to draw this ugly guy again right and then so yeah i just and i'm constantly thinking of ways to like make things alien and challenge like like oh like i don't know on Earth, we breathe oxygen. What would they breathe on another planet? What would this, what would do? Just think of like twisting things up and doing it in different ways and then just throwing them a Ricky. And like, so we constantly have so many ideas going on. And I don't know, like we, we have enthusiasm still. And it's fun. Like it's a really fun book. And I, I think... You, you get to draw monsters too. Like it's yeah, not love, a human. You can do whatever you want, basically. Yeah, that's the great thing with it. Like I was like, don't get bogged down by... Because I find like things like, like Star Trek... Yeah, it's interesting, whatever. But I think the stuff where they get into explaining, like, like the how the ship works and all that stuff, like how the transporter works, like that bores me. I don't want to get into this. I'm just like, just show stuff happening. Like, and if we need to explain stuff, we'll explain it. But you don't really have to, right? Like, right. 
Like Star Wars, man. They have like the force. Like that's just cool. Yeah. People like, just accept it. Yeah. I don't need to know the science. I don't need to know about the metachlorians behind it. Right. Like, right. Just like kind of like cool. So yeah, we just, I'm mean, like, just let's not bog it down with like boring, like trying to over explain it. And everyone always wants origin stories. Everyone's all about origin stories. I'm like, Ah oh, man, we don't have to explain that stuff. Just have the characters. Like that's one thing that bores me about like any Spider-Man or Superman movie or cartoon that they're doing. Literally every time you see a Spider-Man movie, they're going to explain Spider-Man's origin slightly different, but the same story you've heard a million times. You're like, can Spider-Man just show up? Like, do I need to know how? Yeah. Like, how did that happen? Like, and I mean, you. What you do then is you just like slowly reveal things about yeah, the character exactly. as you go along. Yeah, right? and if you think of a cool story to make your origin thing about, that's cool. But you don't have to explain every like people are just everything's. That's the problem with the comic books now, like DC and Marvel. Everything's like a reboot, and I'm like I gotta go through fucking Superman's origin again. How about do like All Star Superman, where you're like, we know what Superman does. Have him show up and do cool stuff, and like tell cool stories about Superman. We don't need to know that his planet exploded. We know that happened. I don't know what it is, man. Yeah, it's so much better to just reveal it as you go along. Yeah. So then you're you're working with Ricky. Do you have do you have like an end goal in mind for Black Hole Hunters Club, like? Are you just going to keep doing it until you get bored or what? I think we're probably going to keep doing it until it takes off enough that we can do it as our job or we get too busy doing other things because I'm going to work on Morris and he's working on like, hey, it's happily ever after. And uh, Ricky's a mystery to me sometimes. He doesn't tell me everything he's doing. So like literally that whole Kickstarter for happily ever after, I found out like not that long before he did the Kickstarter. And I was like, oh, I didn't even know he had a whole side thing going. So I think like, I don't know, if we get busier doing other stuff, then we, we might take a break. And we've talked about it a bit of the future of like what could happen and where it could go. But I, I, I'd love to keep doing it. We have at least a third story arc in mind and then I want to get into less like big arcs and just kind of like maybe one or two issue little stories about like doing bounties and stuff like that so right like yeah. you have these stories now that are like they're not part of the main arc but they're like focusing on like one character or two characters yeah like so in, in the third issue is when we like in the first issue you give me the two three characters and then in the next issue you meet another character and then in the third issue we reveal the whole black wanders club like the whole the whole team yeah these alien and, bounty hunters yeah and then he goes over and like each character their name what their specialty is and then their biggest bounty they've killed we got i got really busy in 2014 because i was working on black hunters but i also took on like oh when we you and i were doing the toronto bjj book yes yeah. mission samurai right and i was doing monstrosity and i took on this illustrations for this novel so i was like not producing black hole hunters because i just i have a bad sense of time so i was like i thought i could do them all and i was like oh there's no way i can do all <laughs> it so there was a big gap between uh issues of black hole hunters so ricky was like well i'm gonna do these backup stories of telling the tale of each character and their biggest kill right and um, he did it as a web comic, and he got different artists to do them. And now the stories are all done, so we're releasing them as issues called The Biggest Kill. And oh. each one tells two of those stories. Nice. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, and they're really great. And then we've had, like, Oliver Castaneda, Colton Gilson. We've had – who else? Have, like, so many great artists. It's been amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, we were we worked together on Submission Samurai yeah. for a bit. Uh, two you, issues. You were, we two yeah, issues, two right? issues. You were like the co-creator with me. You created yeah. the look of everybody and yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Submission Samurai, for those who don't know, was a thing that I did because I'm, I'm into jujitsu. 
And it was a comic that I did for the kids program of Toronto BJJ. And uh, Shane started it with me, basically. And it basically made, you know, two of the coaches that were in charge of the kids program at the time, one of them is still around and one of them left as like superheroes. They were like superheroes working out of Toronto BJJ. Yeah, and they just gave them to like people at Toronto BJJ? Is that what yeah, they Yeah, it would go to like the kids who, yeah. who were like attending the classes. And yeah, because I think, I think I met you at first at the comic book lounge and I had like one of my prints was like a MMA one. And you saw it, and then we started talking about MMA, and then you told me you do jujitsu, and then we kind of like bonded over that. Right, right, right. And uh, I think Alex has it. Like our producer has your because it's the Anderson oh, Silver right one, right? It's yeah. literally right there. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, it's right there. Yeah, the Anderson Silver one. Yeah, uh, yeah. So then I think when that opportunity came out, they wanted you to write it, and they were like. Do you know an artist? You're in there, and you thought of me because yeah, we had that bond. Because over, of the like, MMA, yeah, and I have some knowledge of jujitsu. Right, I needed somebody who knew MMA a yeah. little bit so that you could actually you knew what I was talking about yeah. when I said I needed to draw a dude in the guard, or I needed to yeah. draw you know a dude doing like uh, Ezekiel choke or like things like that. Yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? So that you weren't like, what is yeah, what yeah. is going on? Yeah, that's why Black Wonders was so late, because well, part of that was working on the Submission Samurai. Right, right. Yeah. No, it was good. It was great. I just couldn't keep doing it and doing, like, the other stuff I wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. you got out of it for a bit, and then uh, we we got Chris Yao, yeah. who's another great artist. My friend they, and buddy and great artist, Chris Yao. Yeah, to keep doing it. But then now, it just sort of petered out, because... Because yeah. one of the guys that was helping publish it, like the main dude, yeah. he left, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And then Nacho wanted to continue it, but Chris got really busy with other things, yeah. and like the motivation just wasn't really Yeah, and you're not training really as much because you have an injury, right? Right so. now I have an injury, so it just sort of it just sort of petered out. Maybe we'll bring it back one time. Yeah, man. It, it worked really well. We did like five issues did like, you, they, so chris did like three more right? yeah he did like okay, three cool. more so it was, it was pretty it's pretty good and and i mean it sucks because we left it on a cliffhanger oh yeah we, we, we started this big arc with this like rival school yeah that's right that was gonna like basically take over the the toronto bdj and toronto bdj all the coaches had to get together and form like a justice league oh, that's right yeah you guys were planning that when i was like i can't do this anymore right 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 and they, took, they took on the school and they battled uh bjj war the, the school and stuff and it was yeah. great and then you know toronto bjj is all about like cooperation and like yeah. no one is evil so they took in the guy that was like the main leader of this faction oh. and like wanted to train him to be a good guy and that sort of thing and the way we left it was there were all these like weird pranks that were happening at the school like the shower head was broken and you'd see like graffiti and it would be of this rival oh. faction that they just defeated so the idea was to place suspicion on this student oh. who used to be part of them like is he still evil crazy is, is, cliffhanger is he good you know what i mean you <laughs> yeah. know what i mean and we just left it there that's cool though but but i mean hopefully it's a cool project it's different right yeah, like, how many yeah. people are doing like jujitsu comic books? and it's weird to do a corporate comic book that yeah. is just in this one yeah. company like was that was that experience kind of weird where you're like this isn't going out to, like, the public. Yeah, it was kind of different, too, because, like, people who found out about the project or I show, like, art and stuff, and people would be like, cool, like, when can I buy that? And I'm like, no, you can't. Like, it's not <laughs> it's not for you. And they'd be like, well, I want a copy. And I was like, well, 
I don't know, man. You got to join Toronto BJJ, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Like, I have a copy for me, but that's just for my own personal Yeah, life. and it, and it's it's weird that, like, you can be a gym that's, like, successful enough yeah. that you can pay some dudes yeah. to do a comic just for your gym. Yeah. Right? It's yeah, crazy. no, it's great. It was crazy. So this book, Morris, that you're doing, which yeah. apparently, like, you started, it was, like, on the back burner even before Black Hole. That Hunters. was another project I had in, like, my, like, uh, it actually just started as um, originally just, uh, it was this character. Did I show you any no. of the art of it? I'll show you after. I haven't heard of this at all. He's, like, this um, big, fat sheriff guy. He kind of looks like Wolfer Brimley. And right. he's got, like, a big mustache. Oh, I drew him on your thing at the camera house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you were like, looks like Wolfer Brimley. I was <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Totally. So I drew him as a one-off, just this, like, big, fat sheriff cowboy guy. And uh, people, like, really responded to it well. So I was like, I'll do another one. And I, I came up with these ideas, and I was just going to draw it as – um this character in a series of it, just illustrations doing different things. Uh, like in kind of cowboy settings, but like, I was like, there's no limits. Like we can do all kinds of just weird stuff. And then I was like, one day it hit me and I was like, yeah, I shouldn't make this a comic book. And then that was my plan. And then I got so derailed by black hole hunters because we were like, again, like I told you, we were just supposed to do that as that one 12 hour comic. But then, Ricky and I were like, this is great. People are liking it. Let's make Black Hole Hunters a thing. So now I'm finally getting around to doing Morris. I'm so excited about it. I have like, I'm working on there. I have three full pages done and the cover is like almost done. Uh, it's going to be about a 22 page. I have to like revisit my script or whatever, but uh, I'm writing it, drawing it. I'm going to have it colored probably by Paris, Paris Lean. That'd be awesome. Former guest. And you always, yeah, he whenever was, you he mention was, someone that's on the guest. He guy, was all, so Former honest. speech. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. I really like Paris has been uh, doing covers for us, uh, coloring covers for us at Black Honors. And I just absolutely love his stuff. And it's getting way better. Not just his colors. His art is great. His book Haven is great. But uh, yeah, like I really would love to get him to color the book. We'll see if we can get that done. But yeah, it's basically the whole concept will be this sheriff character. It's going to feel just like a Western. I want it to be like a Western. Okay. But it's going to be a post-apocalyptic type deal. So it'll be like a Western-ish town. So outside the walls of this town, it's just like crazy, like Mad Max anarchy, right? Yeah. but inside the walls of this or the boundaries of this town, it's protected by Morris, the sheriff, who's just like this badass sheriff dude. Like it's literally just feels like an old West town, but it's like and people respect those boundaries and they don't come in to like the and the town's gonna be called Beatrice, like the town of Beatrice. Okay. And uh, yeah, that's like it'll. So the first issue uh, will be me kind of just introducing that world and like just a taste of a little bit of everything. And establishing who and what Morris is. And then I'm going to go with a sort of like the Hellboy model where it's like a like four issue kind of mini series and like little right. story arcs about different characters going on around. the And like Morris will be a central figure. He's the sheriff. Yeah, he's the sheriff of this town. But I'll have like a lot. I've created like a lot of other characters. Yeah. And as I'm doing, I'm like, uh, like last night I was on my bed and I was drawing just before I go to bed. And I was like, oh, I just came up with like. I was just doodling roughly, and I came up with another idea for a character. And nice. then I have a lot of different plans, but for the future, I'll get to them, like, one at a time. But at the same time, I'm just, like, brainstorming ideas. But I was just going to do regular style, like, print it myself, sell it, like, print it, like, I don't know, a couple hundred issues, sell them at a con. But uh, people have convinced me that I think, like, Kickstarter is the way to go and not just like, for money-wise. So I'm like, whatever, I can pay for printing and do it myself. But just, like, 
Kickstarter. Like I was never that big on Kickstarter because when I first came out, I always thought of it as like a. It just seems like people are just asking for money, right? But like when you look at it on the ground, it's like people just doing like pre-sales of books, and it's a new way to hype your stuff and get like distribution out there without having like a major publisher as your your guy, right? It can go so, around the world, yeah. So I I'm still on the fence, but I think what I'm going to do is a, a Kickstarter. But I want I'm just trying to get the book done, which will be done by the end of the year, and then. January, February, I'll be planning a Kickstarter, but I don't know exactly when I want to do it and launch it. I'll figure – I don't want to do a, a crappy Kickstarter because there's a lot of those out there. Yeah. But I want to like use – like Ricky did a very successful Kickstarter and like I know of people who do like music, videos. I'd like to really do a really well put together one with a great book, great rewards. And I think I might even – start working with a writer and just setting up the next story arc and just give like a sample of that into the like Kickstarter. Cool. So you don't have to do like double duty. You can do the art. Well, yeah, I wanted to write the first issue myself, but I, I don't consider myself a writer, but I want to kind of write like co-write with a writer. And there's a few guys in particular that I have like in Toronto that I want to, I'm planning on working with and just being like, here's all my ideas for Morris. Now, like, what do you think we can do with it? And let's create story arcs from there. Right. And kind of just co-write them together, basically. So this Morris dude, is he going to be like a Longmire or like one of those, like, it's sort of like those sheriff show type type things where it's like the sort of, uh, what do they want to say? Like Chuck Norris sort of Western kind of guy. Uh, no, 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 no. He's, uh, he's going to be just kind of this like stoic guy that like he kind of protects the town there's other guys that help out, like they protect the borders and stuff like that. But and I don't think I don't know if I'll even have him officially wear a star and be like a sheriff. Right. Just kind of like you're like, yeah, this is Morris's town. Like we respect him, and uh, yeah, he just and he's protecting them from like the outside apocalypse, post-apocalyptic forces. Yeah, and I have ideas for um, like story arcs planned for like his neighbors and like what's going on outside, but. They kind of, there's this general understanding that, like, if you come into this, like, the boundaries of, like, Morris's boundaries, that, like, like you got to behave and you got to be, like, productive member of this town or you got to, get like, get the hell out. And, like, it's kind of like the territories that they set up in Walking Dead where it's, like, there's, like, the boundaries and they all have, like, their own little town. Oh, yeah. And they're protecting so, yeah. their, like, little community from the outside zombies or what, yeah, you, yeah, you know, yeah. you always know what the threat is, is outside that's like right? negan and them they all have yeah like... negan all these people even rick to some extent yeah they, they I, make I lost this town i stopped re- i used to read the books and i used to watch the show but then i just got bored of the like that they're still that they're it's just still a soap doing opera right? yeah. like it's just like it's so it, soap opera with with um like with zombies as a backdrop right right, right. and it's totally. kind of fun at first but like i i don't know i like answers right so when i watched that movie like world war z at the end of the movie, I'm like, oh, they kind of figured something out and, like, they have a resolution for it where it's like, you're just like, like, they're never going to explain what happened and why it's yeah, happening. Yeah. It's just like, which it's, is, for me, is the frustrating thing about Walking Dead, too. Yeah, that's why I lost interest because I'm like, oh, okay, they're literally just going to continue to be like, here's a bunch of characters that you, like, really, like, start caring about them and then, boom, one of them's going to die and you're like, oh, no, Glenn died and then, or like, or whatever, right? So I'm just, I don't know. I, I just lost interest in it. Right, right. And it, and it's not because of the show. It's because of the comic. Like, Kirkman has not ended the comic yet. Well, so, why would he? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> why would exactly. he? Like, people still buy it. Still buy it. And like, I'm not, I don't care if you like it. I just, I lost interest personally. Right, I just right. got bored of the whole thing. Totally. I want some answers. But the Morris thing, it just reminds me of like these, 
oh yeah territory is yeah that, like well what I, the reason i want it to be in like originally it was supposed to be just a western mm-hmm. but then i was like oh, it's so limiting because like it's then it's just people versus people riding horses and like i love that stuff like i love like tombstones my favorite movie like i really into westerns right like all those old westerns the spaghetti westerns love them but i was like you know what i want it to kind of be like uh you know the goon the Dark Horse book. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Where it's like kind of this world where anything can happen. So in this post-apocalyptic world, like in the first Morris issue, he's going to be fighting these anthropomorphic uh, lizard guys. Nice. And it was, so I was like, yeah, and who knows in a post-apocalyptic world, like uh, anything could happen. A dinosaur could show up or some mutant weird thing, right? Right. And also now it's like Morris doesn't have to just ride around on a horse. He also like – he's going to be kind of like technical and he can build like – he he might build like a tank out of old car parts or something like that, you know, right. just kind of stuff left over. It's so. sort of like Cadillacs and dinosaurs. You ever you ever watch that? Oh, it was like this cartoon. It was this cartoon. <laughs> it was like this cartoon that combines sort of like this prehistoric thing where there was like dinosaurs yeah. in this unit universe. It was sort of like the Savage Land, but then there were also like these guys. Uh, the, the characters were sort of like rockabilly, so they had like oh, ca- yeah. they had like Cadillacs and like leather jackets. Did they explain and it, shit. or was it just like this world where these things existed? This, this world where these things existed, and, and the technology would sort of like adapt. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I because like that. they'd be fighting the dinosaurs, and sometimes it was a cartoon di- or a comic. Yeah, it's sort of a cartoon. I think maybe a comic book too. But I remember the cartoon, and yeah. it was like. They would make like technology, like rocket launchers and stuff for their yeah. Cadillacs, and like some of the dinosaurs would be like half robot or that something like familiar. that. That sounds familiar. That's not, but also like it just sounds like a, like a any sort of a Jeff Darrow like sketchbook right, too. Right, exactly. It's like just stuff like that, which I love. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, yeah. It'll be like that kind of idea where like. Just kind of anything can happen, and I'd like just because I was like, yeah, I want it to be a western, but also I'd love for Morris to use like a jetpack. Yeah, know? Like, and, and that's more like popular because like the fusion aspect, yeah. because like cowboys and aliens is a thing, yeah. and like Westworld. Are you yeah. watching Westworld right now? No, I I want to stay away from it because I don't. It sounds you don't kind of similar you, like to what I'm doing, but also I don't know. I. I, it looked cool, and I love it. Like I, it's got like is it Anthony Hopkins in it? Anthony and Hopkins, Ed Harris. Like I love Ed Harris, that. Yeah, but it. Um, I heard like the concept of it, and I just was like, I don't know. It kind of sounds like it's got that like Groundhog Day effect to it, which can be like done really well or like done really like terribly and annoying. Where it's just like you're redoing something, right, 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 right. And I'm like I don't know, man. I just I kind of lost interest, and I was like, you know what? I should stay away from it anyway. Yeah, I think it'll work best if it's like really limited. If it's like one miniseries, and that's and yeah. that's kind of it. No, right? I'm not gonna watch it. I, I I'm very particular about what I watch. Yeah, yeah, totally. I don't watch a lot of stuff. Actually. All right, man. So while you're working on this Morris thing, is there anything else going on? Like, what what's your convention schedule like? I don't Coming know. Coming out. I kind of got burned out. Ricky and I did a lot of conventions in like 2015. So this this year I really scaled it down. I think I just want to stick to like the big shows. I don't want to travel too much to go to shows. Like we did Boston and like Montreal and Niagara. They're like Montreal and Niagara are not that far, but I think I'm going to stick mostly like to local kind of shows. Just like, like, like we'll do the December one day show that the, right. um, Informa puts on and they do that show in March and then they do the fan expo. I didn't apply to be at TCAF, but like I'm, I'm gonna. I always go and check out TCAF. I love it. Right. And then um, I don't know whatever kind of little shows pop up around or like signings at Stadium Comics. I don't know. 
Nice. That's awesome. So if people want to track you down on social media, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah. Okay. Don't add Shane Amato on Facebook unless I personally know you. That's my personal page. But there's a Shane Heron art page on Facebook and there's a Black Hole Hunters Club page. And just if you like one or both of those pages, any kind of news of like what Ricky and I are doing will be on there. Uh, and then I like, I have an Instagram. It's just like Shane Heron. I don't know. I think it's at Shane Heron. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, anyone can get black hole hunters club books, right? Like they can buy them from yeah on the Facebook page. There's a link to our store. Okay. And then, yeah, you just order it. And then I think Ricky just sends it to you. Basically that's how it works. Ricky handles all the business stuff. I'm, I'm too creative. I can't, I can't deal with that stuff. You know, I'm yeah, busy yeah, yeah. creating. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Man, it, it's so good to have you on. Yeah, man. It's and great. Great to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah. Maybe you know we'll I have you on when you, when you launch your Kickstarter. I'll, uh, that'd be great. I'll hype yeah. it up for sure. And if not like my Facebook page, and then if you're interested in the Kickstarter, when it's going on, there'll be a, I'll be bombarding people with all that. I don't know how to do a Kickstarter. I'll figure it out. Right. Awesome. All right, man. Well, thanks for coming in. And we'll see you next time on Speech Bubble. Bye. This has been Speech Bubble. See you in the future, friends. The Hairy Tarantula sells games and comics to bright and imaginative people like you. Thus, we value your mind. Without it, you'd be stupid and we'd be out of business. So stop drinking diet sodas contaminated with aspartame and stop microwaving your brain with a cellular phone. And if that's too much to ask, then for God's sake, spare our kids from electrochemical lobotomization. Thanks for playing. Please come again. Harry Tarantula. Look us up if you know how. This freedom of speech moment paid for by the Harry Tarantula. 354 Young. Upstairs. Online at H-A-I-R-Y-T dot com. That's HarryT dot com.